Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Well, good morning. It really is uh, good to be back. Uh, It's a thrill to be here. I have uh, had 40 just plus wonderful, wonderful years. So many of my peers uh, back seminary days and moving forward, uh, frankly, moved from church to church in many of those difficult situations. And uh, uh, but, you know, 40 plus uh, years. uh, 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 What a journey. I don't think anyone could have asked for a better place and a better people to serve alongside uh, for all of those uh, years. And one of the blessings of going somewhere and staying a long time is you you get to really be a part of someone's life over the long haul. Uh, you know, there are so many folks that uh, uh, that I did their uh, uh, marriages, uh, were there when they had children, and and now some of them, you know, are grandparents and so on. And what a, what a wonderful journey to be a part of, of people's uh, uh, lives. And it was just wonderful. The, the last couple of years, uh, uh, I've spent... Uh, uh, more time, uh, Lena and I, my wife, we uh, we grew up together. We were uh, we were uh, uh, high school sweethearts, and my mother-in-law was my first grade teacher. So when I say that my wife and I have known each other all our lives, I ain't kidding. Uh, all our lives, and she married me anyways. But uh, uh, it's uh, we do, we have had a you know every marriage has its ups and downs, but we've had a, a really uh, a solid marriage. But these last couple of years, just you know not needing to get up as it were and, and uh, uh, go to a place of responsibility, just a lot of time uh, together, uh, you know downtime and what have you, it's just really uh, enriched. Honestly, uh, our relationship though it was solid. Uh, probably one of the greater uh, blessings of the retirement is we have four grandchildren, and uh, and uh, I am committed totally committed to doing anything and everything that I possibly can to spoil their lives. <laughs> Deeply committed. And I think I'm doing pretty well. Okay. And when they get ornery, you know, I just give them back to mom and dad and move on. I don't worry about it. So it's great. So it's good to be here. I still teach a class uh, at 10 o'clock. I started seven years ago. I, I know you're in here, but you should be in one of the other services and be in my class at 10 o'clock. But uh, that's for another uh, discussion. But I, I thank Pastor David for letting me be part of the, the planning and the research team for a subject that uh, I've given a lot of time and study, uh, frankly, over the years. Uh, I think it's important. I think we need to live in light of the return of Jesus. I think uh, we need to live with the end in mind because it is uh, coming. So what I want to do, uh, I want to kind of put in context. I've been uh, listened to the last two messages, and uh, I know David has not uh, done this. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me. It sounds a little bit odd to the table of contents. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you've got a device, just, just Google Bible table of contents and uh, probably the Old and New Testament will come up. But I'm on the early matter of the, of the Pew Bible, which is what I have here. And I just want to give you some context to help you to see how critical, how important uh, this uh, subject is in the minds of God, in the minds of the writers of Scripture. Uh, there are 66 uh, books in the Bible, thousands of verses. But most people don't know that 27% of the Bible, more than a quarter of the Bible, speaks to the subject of prophecy, to, of the return of Christ, of end times, of the second coming of Christ. That's a huge volume of material. 
And then when you look specifically uh, at the New Testament, uh, you got that in front of you, the table of contents. Uh, there are nine writers, nine writers in, uh, of the books in the New Testament. Most of those by Paul and John, but others scattered in there. What's interesting, every one of the writers, all nine of them, without exception, in their writings includes matter and information related to living in the end times. So it was an, is an, an important subject. John uh, uh, gave a whole book, the book of Revelation, uh, to this uh, subject. Jesus gave his longest discourse at one time, the Olivet Discourse that David spoke from last week in Mark chapter uh, 13. And I figure when you've got that much of a volume of material, and when you've got every New Testament writer, including Jesus himself, speaking to the importance of this subject that we would be wise to pay attention to it and understand it as best as we can. Though there's a lot about the end time uh, drama, you might say, that we will never understand until it happens. But what's most important for us to understand is this, how we live between now and whenever then is. And there are expectations for that. And Paul spoke a lot about that. If you uh, turn with me to Romans, and it's going to read uh, two or three passages, just a few verses. It kind of sets the, uh, the, uh, the place of application, you might say, a practical application related to this uh, doctrine of end times. And it's really critically important because every time, well, without exception the most, when you're reading about the coming of Christ, there's always this, and this is how you ought to live. This is how you ought to conduct yourself. This is the attitude that you ought to have toward it. So let me read two or three of those passages just from uh, Paul. In uh, Romans chapter uh, 13 and verse 11, Paul writes, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come. Talking about the return of Christ uh, is, is going to happen. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up from your sleep. Get out of the doldrums for salvation. The return of Christ is nearer to now than we first believe. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality or sensuality. Not in quarreling or jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul said, you know, wake up and clean up your life and, and put on the armor and put on the Lord Jesus Christ while you wait. Be productive while you're waiting. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse, uh, the, uh, verse 58, Paul has just talked about the imminent return of Christ in the previous verses. That's why he says, therefore, in light of the reality that, we are, that the end times are coming, that Christ is returning, in light of that, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There will be reward for counting the cost and paying the price in following Jesus. And then one more passage uh, from Paul in the book of Titus, Titus in chapter 2, Titus chapter 2 in verse, uh, in verse uh, 11. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, and it's appeared bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify to himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
Whether it was Jesus in the closing of the, of, uh, the Olivet Discourse after he talks about, the, as it were, the sequence of events that are, uh, that are to follow. He follows those with a series of parables, and this is how you ought to live in the meantime. And that's exactly what Paul did in the passage that I just read. But perhaps the passage that in one place that speaks more of our responsibilities in living in the end times and how to live is by Peter. So I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Turn there. We'll be there in just a minute. Before we do it, I want you to look at the timeline that Pastor David has developed as we walked our way through this. Week one, David kind of laid out this, uh, everything began in a garden, as it were, in eternity past, and everything is going to end in a garden at the tree of life in eternity future. And we've got this line going all the way from eternity past to eternity future. Okay? And he talked about last week, what are the events, what are the clues, what are the signs uh, out of Mark 13 that, that lead us up to the coming of Christ? And today we're going to talk about how do we live? How do we live with the end in mind? So, but let me show you something here that I've added uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the timeline, and you'll see that dot. I hope you can see that where you are, that dot. Imagine with me for a minute because it's true. That dot represents my life and your life. On the left side of that dot was our birth, and on the right side of that dot is our death. You and I live in the dot. The danger is that we live for it. Because we should not ever be living for the dot. We need, though we're living in it, we should always be living for the line for the line. Does that make sense? We need to always kind of keep our eyes looking up and looking uh, forward. So when we come to 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, uh, if you got it turned there, if you look at a pew Bible, I find it's very interesting. The translators calls chapter 3, the day of, of the Lord will come. Talking about the return of Christ. And in the opening seven verses, I'm not going to read those, he puts in context at least four times the promise of the coming of Christ. And then he pick, I'll pick up in verse 8, and in these next few verses, you'll see that continued theme. But then you will see Peter begin to say, in light of his return, how should we live? Let me read verse 8 and follow it. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow concerning uh, uh, to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. It will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and, and dissolved. And the earth and the words that are on it will be exposed. Since all of these things are coming, since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening for the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to the promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, therefore, in light of the return of Christ, my beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent. Be diligent. Look back with me at these uh, uh, verses. Peter asked this question, since all of these things, the return's going to happen. 
We can't do anything to slow it down, but I'll show you in a minute. We can do something to speed it up. But it's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. We can't put a date on it. But it's going to happen. And since we know, smart people, wise people, prepare for that. So what sort of people ought we to be? Now, that sounds like a question, but it isn't a question. It's basically a declaration. Peter is saying, listen, since, since we are living in the end times... Since we know that is true, this is the kind of person we ought to be. This is how we ought to live with the end in mind. But what does that look like? What does that look like? Look at the next uh, slide. Be diligent. Christ is coming. The end is coming. What sort of a person should we be? How then should we live? We should be diligent. That's a very interesting word. It's the fourth time that Peter has used it in this book. Fourth time was an important word to him. Let me give you, give me, give you, what, let me give you some meaning. To, to be jealous, it means to make every effort. It means to give it all you got. It means to be, go all out. It means to be all in. It means to leave it on the court. It means to leave it on the field. It means to leave it on the earth, whether you die or whether Jesus comes. It means to give it all that you have while you wait. So he says, be, be diligent, be diligent, be diligent. So knowing that the end is coming, but not knowing when, knowing that we need to be diligent, let me ask you this question to begin. If you knew Jesus was coming Wednesday, I'm just giving you a couple of days to get ready. <laughs> I don't know, but it just, just uh, uh, go along with me. If you knew Jesus was coming Wednesday, what would you change? But we don't know. So whatever changes need to be made, those changes need to be made because we don't know whether it'll be this Wednesday or a thousand Wednesdays for now. But we do know it's going to happen. So Peter does a wonderful job in saying, okay, here are the marching orders. Here's the challenge. Be diligent. Give it everything you've got while you're waiting for Christ to return. But especially be diligent in these three areas. And that's what we're going to look at in these few verses right here in 2 Peter chapter 3. First, be diligent. Be diligent. Make every effort. Give it all you've got to show, to show your salvation. To show your salvation. Unashamed, confessing, uh, it, it, even in a difficult uh, world in which you and I lived, unashamed as it were for Christ. So be diligent in showing, but, but how do you do that? Peter gives us some insight here. Now, let's just follow along with me. Uh, since all these things are thus to be to happen, uh, a, new world, a new heaven and a new earth is, uh, is coming. This is the sort of person that we ought to be. We ought to be diligent and be diligent to show our salvation by living lives of holiness and godliness. Living. We can show it in our living. Uh, holiness means in our external conduct, in, in what we say and how we live and where we go and who we hang with. It should be evident who we belong to and should we be evident uh, who we're waiting for. 
That's more of our, uh, you might say, our outer uh, external conduct. And that's based on what's going on in the inside. Uh, uh, the word there means in terms of who you worship. In other words, well, how we conduct ourselves in the world as we wait for the return of Christ is driven by what's going on in the inside of our lives. And there is an integrity spiritually between who we are on the inside in our relationship with Christ and what we're living out externally in our conduct for Christ. It begins with our living, does the showing, you might say, of our salvation. Critically important. And later in, he says in, the, in one of the next few verses, without spot or blemish, without spot or blemish, without spot goes back to holiness externally, without blemish goes back to the inside. And what is on the outside being seen and heard and felt by those that we interact with is birthed from what's going on in the inside in our worship and our relationship with God. So be diligent. Be diligent to show your salvation. How? First and foremost, by living a godly life. Then he goes on, in our expectations or in our expecting. He says here, waiting. He'll use that word again in the next verse and in the next verse, three times in three verses. And it means to eagerly, excitedly anticipate. Like my kids did, you know, many years when they were young and I, I would go off to work and then I would come home. You know, they would, they, you know, they would, uh, they would rush the door, you might say, daddy's home, daddy's home, daddy's home and what have you. Many of you understand that's that excitement. It's not a sense of fear, not a sense of dread. But yet, but yet, I know people, I do, I've had them approach me and say, Jimmy, you know, I've, I've not come to church and I've not watched online this series. I said, oh, why? They said, it scares me. It frightens me. And I said, oh, you, you obviously you don't understand. Obviously you don't get it. This series this series should, should, should draw out of all of us tremendous excitement and anticipation and hopefulness and watchfulness and faithfulness as we wait for the turn of our blessed Savior, which is the blessed hope. There's nothing to be afraid of, but there's everything to be excited about, knowing that He's going to go. And we live with that sense of expectation and excitement, not that sense of dread. You know, let me say, let me say this. I, this is the next phrase. Even if we aren't living in the last days, I do know this. We are living in our last days. That's true. I don't know if it's the last of the last of Jesus coming, but it's, for some of us, we're in our last day. So how do we show our salvation? Well, it's got to begin with living a life that's pleasing to Him. And then it has this expectation, uh, not of anxiety or fear or dread, but of, of, of excitement and hopefulness. But what's that based on? It's, it's based on knowing. Let's go back to the verse. He says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting, that's the second time he said waiting, for these, for the promise to be fulfilled, be diligent to be, what's this? Be found by him at peace. What's he saying? There is absolutely no way to live the expected kind of life for Christ unless you have absolute certainty that you are in a relationship with Christ. You have to know for sure. You have to know. It's not arrogance. That is the blessed promise that Christ gave to us that whoever comes to him, he will in no way cast out. So if Jesus were to show up Wednesday, are you absolutely certain that you would be found in him, by him? Are you absolutely certain that you are at peace with 
him? Can you look back somewhere in your journey to a time, maybe a season, to a place where you know for certain that you needed a Savior because of your lostness, my lostness and sinfulness, and you of your own will said, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and change my life. You know what happens? He does that. He does that because he promised that he would do that. He promised that he would do that, and he is faithful to that promise. But if we don't nail down this sense of confidence and certainty, we're always going to be holding back just a little bit and giving it our all in living for him. So if we want to be diligent, and we do, make every effort to show our salvation, you know, in how we live and our expectations, also in knowing that we know that we know him, then there's one more way we can do it, and that's by telling others. That's by telling others. Let's go back to the previous verse where it talks about uh, the people, what kind of people we ought to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for, what's this phrase, and hastening the coming. It's a fascinating phrase, hastening the coming. Hastening the coming. Have you ever thought that as followers of Christ, that you and I have some say-so of when Jesus returns? Not to say about setting a date, but you and I bear the responsibility of telling others, and the, the more we tell, the more we get the word out. Remember last week, Pastor David talked out of Mark 13, that one of the evidences of the return of Christ was the gospel being proclaimed to all the nations of the world. You and I have a part in that responsibility. Sometimes it's by going. Sometimes it's by giving and supporting those who are going. Sometimes it's by giving and helping people translate the, the Word of God into a uh, previously uh, uh, unknown language in Scripture. But you and I have a part in doing that telling when we make those kind of investments. And as soon as the Word gets out, it doesn't mean all accept Jesus, but it does mean all have access to the gospel, then that hastens uh, the return of the Lord. Meanwhile, meanwhile, as I read earlier in verse 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. In the meantime, God is being patient for you and me to do our job. Telling, telling. So be diligent. How can I live with the end in mind? I can be diligent in showing, living out my salvation. Second, look at the next verse. And this address is to be diligent to know our Scripture. To know our Scripture. How many of you have, uh, you've been in your profession, whatever that may, you may have changed companies, uh, uh, worked for different organizations, but Essentially, what you do, you have been doing, let's say, 10, 15, 20 years. Okay, it's, it's, it's really uh, most of us. It may take us nowadays longer to figure out what that is, but uh, we do it for a long time. But imagine with me, you got hired by a company, and they hired you to, to do X. And uh, you jumped in, and uh, after the first few weeks and months, you know, you were really doing a good job knowing X, whatever X is, Okay. But you kind of got, you, you got uh, comfortable, I guess. And you, and, you quit, and you quit knowing more. And you quit growing more. What would happen if you stayed at that company for another 10 or 15, 20 years and you didn't know any more then than you knew 10 to 15 to 20 years earlier? Well, first of all, you would have been fired long beforehand. Okay. Aren't you glad God doesn't work that way? 
that we come into a relationship with him and he puts this wonderful truth in, our, in, our, in, our, in, in, in front of us to get into our minds and our hearts and, and, and then to transform our lives. And, it, and, and, and you know, just like work, we got to jump in there. We got to know it. We got to read it. We got to study it. We got to apply it. And we've got to grow in it. But the thing about God, unlike our company, he's not ever going to fire us. Okay. But it may break his heart that we don't try harder and do better. So we need to know our scripture. Now, I'm not talking about intellectual, necessarily memorization of facts. I'm talking about knowing in the sense that it impacts uh, our lives and, and how we live our lives. Because knowing scripture, at least in this passage, uh, does at least two things that are critically necessary as we wait for his return. One is they guide us. And number two is they guard us. The scripture's got us, got us how? And providing wisdom. Look at what uh, Peter writes. Just as the beloved brother Paul also wrote to you concerning the wisdom given him. He's writing about Paul. Paul wrote 13 of the 27 letters in the New Testament. Uh, Peter who wrote uh, first and, uh, and second Peter, but gave a lot of the information that Mark wrote in his gospel as well. It says, when we get, in the, we get in the word, we're getting wisdom from him. The Holy Spirit spoke to Paul. Paul wrote it down and the Holy Spirit preserved it for us as he does in all of his letters when he speaks to them of these matters. What matters? Christ is coming. Live, uh, live in preparation. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. They are, if you spend any time in some of Paul's writings, there are some some things that I, I, I say only God understands. I don't have any idea what he's talking about, okay? Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scripture. You see the connect here? Peter is saying Paul wrote scripture and it's full of wisdom. What do we need to know to live in a world that is increasingly intolerant and antagonistic toward people of faith? We do not we don't move into the nearest cave and roll a stone in front of it and hide and wait for Jesus to come. No. We ask for wisdom and courage, wisdom that comes from the Word, to go out there and live for Him at work, at school, wherever we are, to be proud that we're on God's team. To be proud. And it takes wisdom to do that. And we get that wisdom only in one place, and that's from Scripture. That's why uh, uh, the, the church, uh, uh, you know, today, for those who might be interested in a small, caring community that gets around the Word of God and studies it. And then in a few weeks, uh, for those of that uh, would like something outside of Sunday morning and outside uh, the walls of the church. That's why I offer uh, the class that I offer at 10 o'clock to make Bible study available in small groups, caring, and discussion as well. Because that's the best place to get to know scripture and to learn how to apply it to your life. In uh, uh, a couple of uh, passages earlier in uh, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said, all scripture, all scripture is given by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What does that mean? This book is full of wisdom. It will tell you what to do. It will tell you what not to do. It will tell you how to get right when you did something you shouldn't have done. And it will tell you when you did something wrong, how to get it right. I mean, what else do we need? But you got to get in it. You got to know it. If it's going to guide our lives, we got to do that. And then it also protects us. It, it, it guards us. There, there, one of the things that David uh, spoke to last week was the, the false, uh, the deceptive religions, false messiahs, people propagating untruth, taking the scripture and twisting it and uh, making it say something that it doesn't say. 
and two of the uh, two of the features uh, of the of the that set up the return of Christ is increasing increasing deception taking place in religious circles and increasing apostasy of people who are at one time at least by profession were people of faith so there is a, there is a falling away that takes place increasingly so as we move toward in times. So be, be diligent. Yes, be diligent to show your salvation. Yes, be diligent to know your scriptures. Look at this quote from uh, American Bible Society. More than half of Americans think the Bible has too little difference on a culture they see in moral decline. I mean, they you know, our, our culture is, 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 is in cancellation mode and in moral decline. There's no way to deny that. Yet, yet, 50% say that. Yet, only one in five Americans read the Bible on a regular basis. It's like, hey, I know the problem. I don't want to solve it. I certainly don't want to have a part in solving it. And just stick the head in the proverbial sand when the book is readily available either on device or in print. Third, third, be diligent, be diligent, make every effort, give it all you got to grow in your spiritual journey, to grow. Let me, in the last verse, he talked about watching out, uh, being led astray, watching out, falling away. It's, it's almost like he's putting a contrast here and he's saying, listen, not only do not be deceived, not, not, not only don't let your love go cold and drift away, not only don't put your spiritual journey on pause, not only not go into stagnation, don't do that, grow. And that's a present tense continuous imperative. In other words, start growing and keep growing because there really shouldn't be any other option. Keep growing from the moment you said yes to Jesus until he takes you home. Keep growing and developing and understanding. This is just a clear and single, as it were, command. Now, it's interesting that he says we are to grow, but he's, he's very specific. Because that's, it's easy for me to get up here and say, okay, you want to get prepared for Jesus coming, go grow. Well, where do you go? Where do you start? Peter gives us some insight. First, grow in grace. Get a full understanding and grasp of the fact that if you were a child of God, you had nothing to do with it, and the grace of God had everything to do with it. I didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. Our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is based on one thing, the love and the grace of God. And you and I are on the beneficiary end because we have trusted and we believe in Him. But that grace is the start of the journey, and it shouldn't be the end of the journey. Not only did you and I come into a relationship with Christ through grace, from the moment we entered that relationship, everything moving forward is still in a sphere of grace. And I think one of the deceptive ways of the enemy is to begin to put activities and responsibilities on us that we can't live up to, certainly can't live up to perfectively, and begins to whisper in our ear, well, if you're a Christian, you'll never be much of one, and you hear that enough, Whispered in your ear, you begin to believe it. And you buy into it. But grow in grace. Your Christian life begins in grace, continues in grace. And if that's happening in your journey and my journey, it'll show in extending grace to others.
I'm telling you. It really, really will. And then grow in the knowledge. That's not, again, not that's intimate knowledge. That's a knowledge of understanding and application. But it's very specific in terms of the Lord, Jesus, excuse me, Savior, Jesus, and Christ. Those are four names of Christ. In other words, focus on Him, His Lordship, His control, His salvation, His humanity. He understands us and the fact that He is Messiah. Get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Let me show you another verse that uh, Peter said earlier in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long hunger, thirst for the pure spiritual milk, inference of the word. Why? That you may grow up into your salvation. That you may grow up into your salvation. Uh, we have a 20-month granddaughter, and our daughter-in-law uh, nursed her for about uh, uh, six or seven months. But Linda nursed all four of our children. And, uh, and I was so grateful for that because I couldn't do anything to help. And, uh, but can you imagine this scenario? It's late one night. Uh, you know, we've had a dinner and everybody's gone to bed. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, we hear the monitor going off and the baby's crying. And I say, hey, honey, I got it. I got it. Hang with me, honey. I got it. Okay, and I get up and I'm wandering into the baby's room, glad the nightlight's on, so I don't kill myself. And I look down in the crib and there's just this crying, shaking, angry at everything and everyone, mass of humanity. And I look, and I, and I look down and I say, you're not hungry. <laughs> you're not, listen, we had a wonderful supper a few hours ago. Okay, and I think you got fed even before you went to bed. So this is really all in your mind. Okay, so you just go back to sleep. It's all good. Okay, trust me, I'm your daddy. I know better. Okay, what happens? It gets more violent. It gets red all over. Okay, so what happens? By then, Linda's heard everything. So what does she do? She comes into the baby's room. She reaches down. She picks up uh, the nursing infant. Okay, she sits in the rocking chair. She plugs him in. Why? Is there ever a more beautiful picture of being where you want and need to be than a nursing infant at a mother's breast? No. That's the picture here that Peter wants us to have for our growth. Wow. For our growth. So how does this all work out? If we take the challenge, okay, Growth is, is less about our activity. Oh, get that. It's not, activity is not bad. Growth is less about our activity and more about our intimacy. Build that relationship. Know Him through the Scripture. Grow in Him and understanding of Him. And I'll promise you, proper activity will come at the right time and in the right place. All right? Let me close. Verse, let me close. Okay? Look at this next slide. If we take Peter's challenge, I hope we will, then the result is God gets the glory. That's the reason he left you and me here, especially after he saved us, is that our lives should redound to his glory. And I promise you, if we take up the challenge to show our salvation, to know the scripture, and to grow in him, I promise you, he will receive the glory and you and I in time will be rewarded for it. So, let me, let me wrap up. Be diligent. Show her salvation. Diligent. Give it all you got. Don't, don't just be half-hearted. Give it all you got moving forward to know the Scriptures. Get in a small group. 
Get in the Word of God every day and then grow in your spiritual journey. Okay? Let me go back to a question that I started with. Let me kind of close with it. If you knew Jesus was coming Wednesday, I would. I would. How would you fill that blank in? Let's go back to the timetable one last time. Here we are. Every one of us. The dot began, we don't know when it'll end. But it will end. It will end. And we need to be careful not to live for the dot, but to realize that we live in that dot. But we will always, the rest of our journey, as we're living with the end in mind, we will live for the light. Amen? Father, thank you for the clarity of your servant Peter and challenging us with clear and direct marching orders to give it all we got. Not half-hearted, not sometime, but as best as we can all the time. To show that we're in relationship with you, become good students and practitioners of your word, and to keep growing to be more like you in attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors until you come or until you call us home. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.